Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto blockchain and Web 3.0 space. Blockchain Recorded's mission is simple, to share knowledge and insight and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals and decentralization solutions. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Zerer. I have a finance background, having worked on Wall Street and the pharmaceutical industry. After living in five countries and dedicating time to my family, I left the corporate world. Today, I work as a freelance consultant and am fascinated by the innovative space of crypto and blockchain, different ways of thinking, and the people that are making that happen. So let's talk blockchain. Before we begin, let me say a few words about our sponsor. This episode sponsors Fourth Tech, which is short for Fourth Pillar Technologies. Fourth Tech is a next-gen multi-blockchain ecosystem, platform, cryptocurrency, and a suite of decentralized applications that enable users to exchange data files and instant messages from wallet to wallet in a secure and decentralized way. The Fourth Tech Charter aims to establish a foundation for decentralized digital identity, multi-chain data exchange, digital data notarization, and decentralization of cloud storage. Established back in 2017, the initiative is composed of individuals and companies that collaborate to create decentralized data management solutions for the benefit of everyone. Two of the fourth tech innovations are 4DX, which can be described as the blockchain we transfer alternative, where the protocol leverages trust sourced from the blockchain and provides a secure, immutable wallet A to wallet B data file exchange and 4IM, which uses the Solana blockchain to serve as an immutable ledger exchanging encrypted short instant messages from wallet to wallet. Okay, so our talk today will reveal the ins and outs of the Polkadot Substrate Edgeware blockchain, its interoperability and advantages, use cases, the Edge token, for which we have some news today, the Edgeware agency as a DAO, DeFi plans, and much more. With us, we have Tom Ivey, the director of Edgeware Agency, a chain-funded working-to-grow utility of Edgeware, I hope I said that correctly, and an elected council member of the network. Tom, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Thank you. Excited to be here. I understand this is uh, month two, so congrats to the, to the new venture. Yes, yes, it's month two, your episode four. And actually, we briefly or kind of sort of met uh, during the our roundtable with Fourth Tech. That was sort of our, our episode zero. Uh, I think you tuned in a, a little bit in the episode, so we didn't actually have a chance to personally speak, but excited to do a one-on-one with you now. Yeah, that was a blast and happy to be back for sure. Um, So there is, Tom, I mentioned actually the chain funded working to grow utility of Edgeware. Um, That's kind of a mouthful. Can you can you sort of dissect that a bit for us? (laughs) Sure. I actually I'm I'm like looking over our notes and I think uh, a couple a couple words got got lost there. So so the Edgeware agency, Edgeware.agency is uh, in our URL is basically a set of community members who kind of got together after doing this on a volunteer basis for a while. And uh, under kind of my writing and leadership proposed to the chain that we uh, get a budget for, our, for a year, potentially more, but we'll start with the year, um, and basically work to market the chain, build awareness, uh, and do biz dev, and mm-hmm. onboard new builders, understand what the community needs are, and uh, build out relationships with exchanges and third parties, um, and, and do all the public-facing stuff that you really need on a day-to-day basis to operate a blockchain, especially one with on-chain governance. Um, because not only is our organization a DAO, but the chain itself is also a DAO, which is kind of a, a shift from the kind of like Ethereum blockchain 2.0 world. Right, right. So uh, thanks for that. There, there's so much to ask regarding the Edgeware and Polkadot ecosystems. But first and foremost, can you tell us about yourself and how your path has led you to the crypto blockchain world where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, uh, I actually have a degree in the in the ancient world of academia um, in philosophy. Oh. And oh. from there, I kind of took a, a strong interest in like just public and political economy. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is like the, you know, people talk about religion and morals. And I was like, hmm, these things seem to be kind of fading in power. What is the most um, efficacious way to deliver improvements to people on a day-to-day basis? And I was like, okay, probably by participating and designing economies. Um, I ran briefly for office after college uh, in my home state of Michigan here in the United States. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that was largely an experiment. Um, was doing governance experiments then, doing governance experiments now, so no changes there. And I dropped out because I was very dissatisfied in the uh, pay-to-play nature of the, that space, which was like they wheel you in front of the special interest groups and they say, hey, you know, if, you, know you gotta kiss the ring, agree to promises. If you do not, we will find somebody who, who will agree to those promises. So right. in the US, I just felt like, you know, the system was blocked at the very beginning by how much money you had or how much money you could you could extract from special interest groups. Mm -hmm. From there, I uh, got introduced to my old team, Commonwealth Labs. They were just beginning uh, to conceive of Edgeware the network. Um, after speaking with Gavin Wood, and I can get into that later, the kind of like Edgeware origin story. And uh, I was like, hey, are you guys, you know, you, it seems like you are trying to innovate in the space of governance. I think digital governance is, is one of the the highest kind of return on investment ways to improve um, societies across the world. Let's let's hang out. And uh, from there, we launched Edgeware. Um, and I left Commonwealth Labs at one point and did that to help lead the agency. Um, and Commonwealth Labs continues to participate in the network. Um, they're council members uh, and, and a massive developer con contributor. Um, but, you know, the community really owns and, and operates uh, the chain. So all cool stuff. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating in terms of the DAO. We'll definitely get to that later, but I just keep getting back to you being a college student and studying philosophy and being preoccupied or actually wanting to improve the world. <laughs> so, but way back, way back then, um, you know, when I think about college, that's, uh, I think that was a different story for me. So uh, kudos to you um, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it's sort of like you've had your moral hat on um, early on. Yeah, it's definitely been an obsession. But to, to your point, I def I spent also a good amount of time learning to DJ. And and now I also produce electronic music on the side. So I got I got the traditional college experience in for sure. Oh, that's awesome. That's interesting. That's great. So let's let's just jump in and talk about the Polkadot ecosystem. As far as I understand, so uh, there's two structural components of the Polkadot multi-chain, if I'm not mistaken, right? There's the relay chain and then there's the parachains. But for the relay or just the, the lay person, um, for the regular listener, this can be really confusing as there's substrates, parachains, as I mentioned, the relay chain. Can you maybe clarify that for us a little bit so we can start off with a, with a clean understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So substrate, I'll start there. I, I prefer to call this like the, the WordPress for blockchains. It's a kit mm -hmm. that is highly modular that you can deploy to build a variety of chains that mm -hmm. focus on the kind of like business logic and use case. And we used it to deploy a smart contract platform that has on-chain governance. Uh, meanwhile, Polkadot used it to deploy a relay chain, which provides you know, security to other chains. Mm. We're probably going to see a huge explosion in people using this kind of like technical stack of substrate for many different purposes. Um, and the relationship between a pair chain and a Polkadot or a relay chain is simply one of transferring the kind of authority to validate and produce blocks or to control the, the state change of the chain to the relay chain network because it obtains better um, kind of economies of scale. If you pool your funds, like my, my favorite explanation for this is um, a relay chain is the United Nations and mm. parachains are member states. They're pooling their resources and their, you know, their security stuff so that they can obtain a better quality with lower cost. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the big innovation. And in the future, we might even see non-substrate-based chains connect to Polkadot or other relay chains as parachains. But for now, substrate really enables a modular and plug-and-play experience. This is, you know, it's still so new and so early in, in the substrate ecosystem that mm -hmm. um, some of these features aren't totally present. But long-term, you know, I think it's going to be massive. It's going to be so easy to build and launch chains. It's like, bring, you know, bring your validators, bring your business use case, and, and let it rip, and you'll be good to go. And from, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. So that, that would be possible. You're saying that t today we have the, the substrate com concept, but in the future, that won't be necessary. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm saying that um, even what substrate looks like today will probably change markedly. Like you could even mm. imagine, you know, a one click launch a blockchain, attract some validators, design your token economy. Mm. Um, substrate as, as a philosophy for architecting blockchain ecosystems is, is just profoundly different. It says, let, let a thousand flowers bloom. Um, mm. because the costs of launching, operating, maintaining, securing them 
become so low. And if we think back to, you know, the original kind of like blockchain innovation, we were like, oh, yeah, blockchains make coordinating cheaper and the transaction costs lower and the firm costs of doing business across the globe 24 hours in a, in a secure way without an intermediary um, increasingly low. So Substrate is like an evolution of that stage. It's like we invented the blockchain to make some things cheap and now we're reinventing the blockchain ecosystem to make it a lot cheaper. Okay. So then let's talk about where Edgeware connects here. So can you explain the concept and incentive behind the Edgeware creation and its main goal? Mm -hmm. So uh, way back when, what feels like two decades and it was really, you know, maybe about three years ago. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thanks COVID for distorting all of our perceptions. Of yeah, time. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Commonwealth Labs, my former team and, and one of the main contributors to the launch of Edgeware uh, was sitting down with Gavin Wood, uh, currently you know, leader of Parity and one of the co-founders of Ethereum. And he needed somebody to launch a smart contract platform using this brand new kind of technical product called Substrate. Um, they were, you know, they were looking at the, the Polkadot and Relay Chain future, but nobody had quite yet announced that they were going to use this to build any of the pair chains. So our team committed to that. Um, we worked with several advisors, Ryan Zur, Gavin, obviously, um, mm. and other people from Web3 Foundation to kind of shout the name around the world. We did tours in China um, and we launched, we are the earliest and longest living substrate chain today. Um, we've been doing it longer than anybody else. And with that came a lot of, you know, interesting learning experiences. <laughs> and today, you know, we look a lot, a lot different than, than we started. Where we originally began as merely a, a chain for smart contracts on Substrate with experimental focus on governance. Um, today, we are thinking about ourselves in, as like a venture DAO that happens to also have control over a robust smart contract platform. So the kind of ownership and concept of what Edgeware is has almost mm -hmm. inverted. We're not a smart contract platform with on-chain governance. We're a digitally govern, you know, governance-centered community with a large pool of on-chain funds that happens to also own and operate successfully a smart contract platform that the projects we fund can build on directly. And if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned Edgeware was the first substrate, right? The supported smart contracts. Is that correct? Yep. That's right. That's right. right. We're the first right. substrate chain to go mainnet. Wow. Um, can you can you take us through its advantages compared to Ethereum? Can I dare to ask? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you know a lot of the the main benefits of of writing in Rust, which is like the underlying language that mm -hmm. um, that Parity built substrate in, and this kind of compiles to what's called WebAssembly which is a very fast, very efficient, and very secure way of operating kind of these peer-to-peer -peer technologies like blockchain. Um, so you get some speed enhancements, you get some throughput enhancements, you get some security enhancements, mm -hmm. uh, in short. Um, a lot of people tend to, to, to trumpet like the, the low block times, um, which for us is about six seconds, and cheap fees. You know, if you, I don't know right. if you've used Ethereum in the past two, two three weeks, but... I was yeah. paying like 200 bucks a pop to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the transaction <laughs> price is, yeah, ridiculous, mm -hmm. but yeah. And I think it remains to be seen whether transaction fees like will remain low for these new substrate chains um, as their use mm -hmm. increases to be comparable to Ethereum. You know, the, the main thing is like, yeah, they'll probably be a little bit cheaper, but we're still not at the point where a blockchain is could be used by the entire world for all purposes um, mm. in a scalable fashion. This is why like roll up technology and layer twos have gotten to be a really exciting space. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think those problems are, are comparable with Ethereum's in the very long term. For now, it's very cheap to use Edgeware. You mm -hmm. can launch like 9,000 contracts on one edge today. Um, just to like give you a... A stat. <laughs> yeah. 9,000. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, impressive. Very, very, <laughs> we agree, yeah. And, and maybe <laughs> over time we'll be able to keep it that way. Um, again, with some of these tech like uh, ZK rollups, optimistic rollups and stuff that we're seeing on the layer twos. Um, besides that, you know, I think I think the main difference that I like to talk about compared to Ethereum is, yes, we're both smart contract languages. Yes, we might use different um, scripts. We don't use Solidity uh, on the native module, but we actually okay. support Solidity on our edge EVM. So like many chains now, there's kind of like, you know, multiple supports in order to be as, as developer accessible as possible. So on Edgeware, you have a choice of writing in Solidity or anything that compiles to our underlying language of Wasm. 
um, which includes Rust and uh, uh, Go, I believe, through the the GoLang compiler. So, you know, if you're if you're a developer listening to this and, and you're thinking I want to be building on like the most cutting edge tech with as many options of of codes, you know, that I want, and you happen to be a wizard and know nine of them, like we're, you know, we are the place. And then the final difference is a little more fundamental. It's that because we are on chain governed, we have this thing called an on chain treasury. It holds many millions of edge, uh, which you know, given our you know, anytime the market uh, offers us a price on this, um, we might have tens to hundreds of millions of dollars ready to deploy to projects. This this like central pool of funds is something that Ethereum does not have and basically will never have because mm-hmm. of its like underlying kind of ethos of being an immutable chain um, where kind of like the, the developers and the miners set the rules for now. Um, mm-hmm. So... So that's the big difference is that we can come together as a community and recursively fund and develop our network by making decisions about the resources that we currently have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned EVM. I think we're going to get, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of touch upon that later. Okay. So we talked about the advantages with Ethereum. What about Moonbeam? Can you clarify maybe the distinction between Edgeware and Moonbeam? Am I being mm-hmm. too facetious? <laughs> I'm asking. No, no, no. It's a great, um, it's a great question. And we, and we get it a lot from our community too. I'm Moonbeam, sure. I'm sure. Because mm-hmm. both are substrates, both support small contracts, but w- how are they different? Yep. So right now, like the, the biggest thing is that we have different kind of like ownership and management models. Edgeware is like fully decentralized. We have no foundation in Switzerland that launches and controls our chains. We don't have a pseudo key, um, which can be used to implement, you know, urgent or last minute changes like other blockchains might have um, that are kind of taking up progressive decentralization route. So right now we are the most decentralized substrate chain. We are resilient to governance attack because sometimes we don't even get along. So nothing, you know, nothing happens. <laughs> um, but if you know if you're worried about chains getting shut down by a single authority or you know some developers and Switzerland or something, that's not going to happen on Edgeware. I don't think it'll happen on Moonbeam either. But you know, in blockchain, if you have these like billion dollar protocols that you know might make some some far off country mad one day, you want to make sure that you are resilient to kinds of attacks. Um, so I think Moonbeam is so new and, and they'll eventually get here for now, you know, our, our status as being the oldest live mainnet in substrate has some advantages. Um, they have a different kind of use case and niche as well. Moonbeam is currently focused on providing an extremely effective EVM development, uh, environment mm-hmm. on substrate and presumably connected to Polkadot, um, as they're already connected to Kusama on their Moon River platform. Mm-hmm. Um, Edgeware says... We want to be a little less opinionated um, and instead of focusing purely on the kind of like development tooling, we want to focus on the community side as well. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities. I would say that we are a little more broad in our scope and a little less deep on the EVM side. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we kind of think of ourselves again as mostly a, a DAO, an online community with governance skills and interests that collectively kind of squad wealth, if you've ever heard this phrase from um crypto kind of like think tank other internet is really interesting uh, of having pooled our resources to make decisions. Um, and that's something that movie I think doesn't, doesn't focus on at this time. Do you collaborate with them at all or how does it, it doesn't work that way? Not yet. No. I mean, so one thing that we're all really grateful to is Moonbeam's developer expertise on the EDM layer for substrate, which is called frontier parody mm-hmm. kind of launched this and, and now mm-hmm. Moonbeam has really taken the lead and continuing to develop it. So because we, because everything is modular in substrate, if one chain has an innovation, it's very easy to plug and play that for anybody else. It's like, you know, the magic of open source technology is that we get to share innovations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're kind of indebted to their constant expertise and growth there. Um, so how we, how we, you know, work with Moonbeam is through, through open source tech by mm-hmm. sharing uh, you know, pull requests on, on GitHub, like many other projects do. Um, years ago, we had spoken with PureStake, the team behind Moonbeam, because they were interested in working with uh, the substrate space. And so we had sat down in San Francisco and just provided a little bit of insight and, uh, and some, some road mapping on what, uh, what we were doing. And they went on to launch Moonbeam. So we've, we've been friends with them for forever. Um, we continue to benefit. But for now, I think we're, we're both very, very busy with uh, our, our own projects. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, so let's jump to cross-chain interoperability. I'm just curious, we, we've talked about a, a lot of concepts here. How does the cross-chain interoperability between 
polka dot substrates work? I mean, you did touch upon them upon a little bit before, but can you give us a more practical example? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just taking a minute to think here. So one thing to clarify is that like um, both polka dot, edgeware, Mm -hmm. and any of its parachains, uh, polka dot's parachains, all run on substrate. So again, that's like this WordPress for blockchains type layer. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the interoperability between different substrate uh, chains can take a few different forms. There's a traditional kind of like bridge um, Mm -hmm. where there are kind of validator-like verifiers on mm-hmm. both sides that read what are called headers from the chain and parse and pass these along the bridge and freeze and unfreeze tokens maybe, um, or pass extrinsics or kind of like functions or commands within uh, the substrate ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, the parachain relay chain relationship, which is much less kind of peer to peer or ad hoc, um, if, if you're familiar with like some networking terms. Mm-hmm. And it, instead it has a very hyper hierarchical thing. So bundles of data, you know, the, the, the block basically get analyzed and, and put together by fishermen um, and a parachain, which are kind of like validators. And then they, I think they're still calling, calling them fishermen anyway. Um, and then they <laughs> throw that up to the to the relay chain and the relay chain's validators take a look at this now bundled block and either give it the stamp and validate it or, or don't. And then they, it issues the command, hey, it's looking good, back down. So that's, that's the main difference, I'd say, for interoperability in Polkadot versus say Cosmos or through any network that is deploying a kind of traditional bridge. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to pretend that I understood that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I think that really the thing to come away with is that Polkadot is a hierarchical structure where yes. one authority, yeah, things, things move vertically, whereas bridges yeah. typically move kind of horizontally. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can picture that. What about Polkadot auction markets? How do they relate? Do they relate to Edgeware? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So initially, when Edgeware launched, we were going to be the first kind of smart contract platform uh, in Polkadot. And right. I mean, gosh, the Relay Chain project is massive. I think they're you know we're still kind of maybe a few months away if I had to guess from Polkadot going live with auctions. Um, and so in Kusama, we're seeing I think we're at auction nine right now, um, and things are going well. The, the mechanisms, the, the economics of it all seem to be playing out. They are a little complicated. And, and frankly, I, I probably am not, not the best person to, to try and explain those at this point in time. Because sure, sure. Um, the Edgeware community, given that it is community-owned and, and totally decentralized, has mm-hmm. expressed an interest in remaining a solo chain. Um, so we're currently taking a look at what that means. Um, there are some technical challenges right now for smart contract platforms that want to become parachains. Mm-hmm. So because we have teams that have built invested into Edge, launched on Edge, um, the community feels like our our first priority should be to those early participants, community members, and builders, and ensuring that we can guarantee them a level of performance um, without endangering that by testing the, the parachain waters at this time. So we probably will take a little bit longer, um, continue to look at how the auctions work, continue to see what the technical implications of mm-hmm. parachaining are mm-hmm. um, on our community and on our, our dApps and our builders. Um, and we'll make a call later, which we'd love to yeah, give a give a postmortem or a debriefing um, if we end up getting becoming a parachain, hopefully on dot one day. Our alternative approach actually is to open RFPs requests for, for proposals and say, hey, if there are teams that want to maybe build or launch a chain on Kusama or mm-hmm. on dot that is mm-hmm. related to Edgeware but is not Edgeware. Um, we're open to hearing that. So whereas like Moonbeam has Moon River and they're both kind of managed by the same communities. We're taking a more, again, a decentralized approach and saying anybody could come build the Edgeware parachain on, on KSM. Um, and we have one team that's looking at that right now. And that, that project is called Kabocha, which is a Japanese pumpkin, um, oh, which is the yeah. favorite of, yeah, yeah, of uh, <laughs> Kusama, the artist behind the, the Kusama and Polkadot inspiration. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so we, you, so you mentioned your auction number nine. Did I, did I hear that correctly? Ah, sorry. No, um, I might have been speaking a little quickly. Um, the Kusama auction slots are at number nine, I believe. Oh, so the they're, Kusama. They're currently okay. auctioning off their ninth pair of chain oh, slots. Oh, they are. Okay, okay, okay. I think I miss. I'm, I probably misheard that. Interesting. What about the advantages compared to other modern chains? So, in other words, will the Polkadot substrate cross-chain interoperability be a considerable advantage in the end? You think, or will it be a big differentiator? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say right now. Yeah. I think that 
I think that because Substrate is so modular, again, that like WordPress, that SDK type approach, that mm -hmm. we will see bridges built and deployed within that ecosystem quicker than anywhere else. Because instead of, instead of having to do custom kind of proprietary solutions between, say, Avalanche and Ethereum or Solana and Cardano, mm -hmm. Substrate chains, they already speak each other's language. It's, again, mm -hmm. it's going to be plug and play. So the, the, the boom in interoperability in Polkadot and even in non-parachain Substrate ecosystems it's going to be extremely robust, primarily because, again, they speak the same language. And two, the entire architecture is designed around not necessarily like a blockchain per DAP or DAP specialized chains, mm -hmm. but many, many chains, each with their own kind of advantages. Um, again, kind of like a, a global economy where you see comparative economic advantages in one in one space, but they can do trade and treaties with other um, zones that have their own comparative advantages. What about interoperability with Ethereum and other layer one chains? Is there a solution plan for this? Yeah, lots of teams are thinking about this. Um, I would guess that, you know, Dot and Kusama may be one of the first uh, mm -hmm. to finalize this bridge um, in, a, in a big way. On our side, we have a team called PicoSwap, which is looking to deploy an EVM, EVM bridge to Ethereum at some point soon. So this, mm. this is um, not uh, the one, the one kind of caveat I would say is, that this bridge will connect to the EVM on Edgeware. It will not connect necessarily to the whole of Edgeware. So right now we transfer tokens back and forth between like the two kind of faces of the Edgeware network. Mm -hmm. um, so this will connect to one side. We are still looking for the Rust Wasm side bridge solution. Um, that, that will likely come in the future. And a little shout out to some teams that are thinking about bridges in a really new way as well as like, uh, Axelar is one of the names. So instead of like, mm -hmm. instead of connecting to, you know, you've got 18 bridges because you want to talk to 18 chains, you might talk <laughs> to one chain and that could be Polkadot um, mm -hmm. and, and its community of pair chains um, in kind of a, like a gated wall style, or it could be Axelar, which says bridge to us and we'll maintain a bunch of these other bridges. So we are just beginning to see a huge explosion in solutions and innovation for, for bridge uh, technology between, between chains and the, the economic implications of that, I think will be, interesting um and and political also and the reason i say that and i'll get off topic for one second is within substrate um because everything is so modular and again plug and play mm -hmm. you can the, the 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 technical advantages uh of having any feature kind of goes away because your competitor can just plug it in too so mm -hmm. the difference really in my mind is what is your community willing and not willing to do so we'll see kind of a federation of values-based advancement, I think. And again, like that's going to look a lot more like, you know, member states within kind of United Nations-like organizations who have common values, common goals, and who may not want to interface. Even if the, even if the interoper interoperable technology is there, they may decide not to because of the things that that blockchain specializes in or has done in the past or the values of that community. I think it's I think it's fascinating. Let's actually move on to DeFi. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask about DeFi. <laughs> um, as as everybody knows, DeFi has taken over the crypto world. Um, where does Edgeware stand in this tornado? Uh, do you plan to implement any DeFi protocols? Are you or where are you in this process? I would say we're at the the primitives stage. So we want to get some bridges up, ideally to EVM EVM. Um, okay. We want to get a Uniswap like protocol. Um, DEXs, because these are essential not only for token distributions and for builders to launch new dApps, right. um, but for creating a more liquid environment for accessibility to the edge token mm -hmm. itself. Um, and we're also looking at stable coins. There's like, you know, these are the couple of the building blocks that like every chain should have if they run smart contracts. So that's mm -hmm. where the stage that we're at. Um, we had previously worked with a couple of other teams that I think are doing amazing things and we expect them to come back. Um, D-Trade is one that I'll give a shout out to. Mm. Um, and they, they've, they built this incredible kind of DEX and kind of financial services ecosystem um, that I think will end up deploying to a different chain because of the, the, the Polkadot need on their side. Um, okay. But we're hoping that once we get the bridges up, we will be quickly able to plug into all those, those solutions once again. The, you know, the bigger question is like, what is the, the, the priority of DeFi within Edgeware? And it's, the answer is as far as the community wants to take it. Um, mm. They have the option to fund protocols and projects. We welcome new applications. Um, so we'd love to see 
you know, new new primitives come forth, new projects, new stable coins, new dexes. Uh, and we've even thought about proposing to existing teams like SushiSwap um, to mm-hmm. say, hey, why don't you come over and maybe try deploying here and here's some edge incentives or kind of special special projects we can offer um, for those involvements. So, okay. So you are sort of brewing in the, in the DeFi arena. Um, 100%. I have to ask, what about NFTs? Um, your your website does mention uh, an NFT strategy group. If I if I saw that correctly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- we have a lot of our community organized by like working groups and interest groups that uh, look like just kind of like cross cross organizational, industry specific. Um, so the NFT strategy group and like Web three media broadly work on specific offerings, technical solutions, and community mm-hmm. building for all of those kind of cases. The few projects that I would love to name drop are Zine, um, this mm-hmm. is Z-I-E-N, um, and they are working on a WhatsApp integrated NFT curation and mm. minting platform. Um, and they've kind of gamified the process in some interesting ways where you, you know, once you connect your WhatsApp account, they will send you kind of a message be like, you know, here, there's a, there's a drop coming up, here's mm-hmm. a teaser, or here's what it looks like. And then you get the chance to participate in this kind of gamified auction um, for the chance to win the right to reproduce the artwork in some way. So it might be hmm. a like a CAD file, a 3D file that you can do printing of. It might be instructions on how to how to actually paint it yourself um, or, or somehow kind of like, you know, make the thing. But in the meantime, you can also participate in, in purchases of what they call scarce editions or like limited editions of NFTs of the work. So mm-hmm. it's a combination of like real art and the digital version. Another one is uh, New Futures. And this is a, a kind of broader NFT curation and marketplace, but their mm-hmm. specialization is the the media side. So I think when we see curation communities in a lot of other like traditional art spaces, there is like, there's experts, you go to museums, there's an expert curator um, and there's a style that is presented there. And it, um, so New Futures wants to basically let everybody who wants to launch their own kind of curation platform mm-hmm. with the ability to produce uh, critique and discourse and articles on those artists, on those art pieces, and to really tell the story. So it's, it's half, you know, written media as much as it is, as it is, it is the uh, NFTs themselves. Um, and that's just getting going. Um, they just received some funding through our on-chain treasury proposal system. Super excited for them. Zine is much closer to launch. We'll probably see uh, a drop coming from them in the next month or two. Mm, you mentioned your on-chain treasury. Uh, just, just uh, I'm just sort of jumping. Um, is this so? Is this your community managed treasury? Is, That's is right. that and and how how does that work? Mm-hmm. So there is a, an interface called Polkadot uh, Apps, so Polkadot.js.org, um, or there is the Commonwealth interface. Commonwealth is a multi-chain uh, governance portal and community forum kind of like Discord with uh, some blockchain-specific features and integrations. And that comes from my, my former team, Commonwealth Labs. Um, so okay. Edgeware was the first to support commonwealth.im, and I, I think it's great. It's mm-hmm. like a very easy way to interact with substrate chains and increasingly other chains. So you can go to the treasury page on there and see anybody who's proposed for funds. You mm-hmm. can launch new proposals. Traditionally, mm-hmm. you would produce a document. Mm-hmm. Um, that says, "Hey, here's our, you know, here's the problem. Here's our proposed solution. Here's our team. Here's the the funds that we're requesting to get this done. Here's our timeline. And we break this down into milestones. And then our entire community of edge holders, the referenda body, um, gets to vote on whether they want to disperse funds to approve that work. So um, this is something that is kind of unique within Substrate. Is we've eschewed or chosen not to like." over-prioritize the value of the council, which I'm a member of, but it's a member mm-hmm. of like 12, 12 to 14 you know, act participants who are elected to those roles. But we typically act as like watchdogs and, and kind of review the overall governance strategy rather than direct the chain's uh, governance actions. So mm-hmm. we leave as much to the, to the broader body of all edge holders as we can. And it's extremely messy and extremely fun. <laughs> Why is it messy? Well, you know, it's a, it's like you got to figure out how to how to maximize participation. You sure. need to think about things like flash loans in the future. You know, when we do have these primitives installed and these bridges up, so that okay. people can't you know borrow edge to just flip a, a vote you know towards their team or something. So, so it's very again experimental. Um, the politics are are beautifully alive, and 
you know, you don't, you don't always get along with everybody, but at the end of the day, you're all getting to participate in something that has never really happened before, which is that people around the world can come to common decisions around things like, this, you know, $300,000 or something like, you, you know, this is insane. Right. Um, you know, the, the anonymous accounts on Twitter with anime avatars are like sitting down and doing a financial analysis an, an analysis of, um, of your common venture. It's, it's just a very exciting and new world. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I also wondering, cause I, I noticed you have, um, uh, the term collectives that you use on your website are, so are these collectives also part of the DAO? Everything's a yes. DAO. <laughs> it's, it's DAOs all the way down. Yeah. DAOs all the way um, down. So, cause you describe them as, as, as group of entities, right. Working to achieve a common objective or entities motivated by a common interest. So, and, and this is how they're all divided, right? So you have your proposals channel, you have your edgeware agency. This is where you are. Is that, mm-hmm. am I understanding this correctly? Um, right. And then you have the DAO working group, et cetera, et cetera. So everything's a DAO with this. Yeah, we, collect- we actually kind of encourage that. I think, one challenge is like just huge rooms of people kind of a referenda body, like mm-hmm. you know, a coin voting it out um, is that you get a kind of like low information decision, which is that, okay, the entire pool decided yes or no. And this is the majority. But when you kind of take a fractal approach mm-hmm. where you've got one big DAO and there are like kind of corporatist style governance where um, you might have like 10 small subgroups and each are made up of 10 people, or maybe they they have subgroups um, you kind of have a more clear flow of information. You identify who the influences and leaders are. And I think it's easier to come to agreement and then let those agreements and disagreements kind of bubble up to the top layer. So it's, it's partly a community growth strategy um, that we took after I kind of became the community growth lead a couple of years back. Um, mm-hmm. And Edra was very small and we were just trying to attract people. It's like, I, I just don't think it's a pleasant experience to just dump somebody into a Discord general channel and say, okay, you know, here's our community. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to structure things so that, you know, you would show up and immediately have people with shared values, shared interests um, to relate to. Because I feel like that's partly what what a lot of us do in blockchain is we're in it for a a predominantly kind of like social movement experience. Yeah, absolutely. As well as Mm. an economic one. Right, right. Yeah. So so you're the DAO master. (laughs) That's how, that's how sort of I'm, I'm, I'm picturing this when, uh, when you said that you, you came to Edgeware and you sort of implemented this. And I'm just, I'm sort of trying to picture how that works and how you achieve consensus. But I think that you've, you've sort of, you've explained that. I just, I find that fascinating. And I think that's, um, uh, it's definitely catching on also in, I would probably argue in other, in other organizations, right? So not just Edgeware, but it, it just, it seems, it seems to be catching on uh, in, in other areas. Agreed. Um, yeah. Did you want to say something? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the only kind of looking into the future, uh, I think we're going to see these DAOs like, you know, when Uniswap showed up and now it's got a $3 billion treasury. Um, right. We're going to see these like sub DAOs uh, gain more political and monetary power. Um, and so you might, again, to take that like nation state, member state kind of analogy, um, you'll see like counties or, or cantons um, that wield significant power over the protocol or maybe kind of fight amongst themselves as organizations instead of as merely individuals with strong opinions and, you know, 10,000 Twitter followers. Um, I like to see things in blockchains move where individual voices have no power, but only groups of individual voices have, have power. And that's, again, that corporatist models, what that's called. The, the word corporation in there doesn't necessarily imply like, you know, capitalist um, style of corporations, but rather that power uh, accrues to groups and not individuals. It's almost like unions. Yeah. And this, this, this also makes me think about your Edgeware identity. There's a mention on your website that with Edgeware, you own your identity, control your data, et cetera. So just sort of philosophizing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's, let's sort of take a turn. Let's talk about edge and uh, your so your token and into staking, et cetera. And you have some uh, sort of breaking news, right? That happened today. You were yeah. You, um, you, we have to talk about that. Absolutely, I was up at uh, one, one to four a.m. this morning, making sure everything went went pretty smoothly. Yeah, uh, we launched on the KuCoin exchange. Yeah. So KuCoin is rapidly growing. We're super excited to be there, and partly because it it gives us accessibility to many parts of the world that are existing kind of official 
exchange um, or kind of community approved exchange, I'll say, um, Bittrex Global doesn't have access to. So, so now mm. more people can access and participate in the edge ecosystem than ever before. That's a big one for us. Um, it makes us more resilient to a variety of like economic problems and attacks. And it's something the community has wanted for over about a year, really. We, the, the process used here was strange because it had never been done before. We went to Kukun and we said, hey, we're like a DAO. We have no, there's no, you know, main corporation here. We don't even really have a core dev because we're just a set of people cooperating, a set of organizations cooperating. Um, how can we onboard to your exchange? And mm. Kukun said, that's insane. We've never done it before, but let's figure it out. Um, so we're super grateful to them for having the patience to, to be innovative um, especially while they've been growing at an immense rate over the past couple of years to really become like a top, top five, top 10 global exchange. Um, and yep. so we did this partly by a set of community votes on a proposal where, and if, and if you know, I don't know if you've ever like really gotten your head into listings before, but there's a lot of NDAs and non-disclosure agreements where you know, the identity of the exchange and the amounts at play, whether it's for a marketing campaign or otherwise are, are basically secret and you can't speak. So, Right. We had to go to our community and say, hi, you know, we think we've got a cool opportunity here. We cannot tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah. And how did that work? I mean, it worked. <laughs> it did. Yeah. But it, it was not easy. It was an immense exercise mm. of trust. It required uh, a strong reputation within that community for them to say, okay, you know, we believe you. We're going to use a multi-sig so that at least three three people out of you know four four or five have to agree to do this thing, um, so that there's some oversight, and then we're going to trust those smaller groups again. Everything it's groups all the way down um, to report back if there are any issues. So we designed a kind of like watchdog and multi-signatory process. Um, mm -hmm. We developed amounts that were blinded. So we said, okay, we, it's going to be an amount somewhere between this and this, and the you know probably 2x, 3x is what we're going to ask for. Um, mm -hmm. and if whatever we don't use after the, after this is conducted, we'll go back to the treasury. Um, and the community said, okay, you know, we're going to prove it. We don't necessarily like this process, but we're going to just try it. Because again, you know, our main, we were born in governance experimentation and we'll probably continue to live there for, for many years to come. Um, so it took about seven months total to get the KuCoin listing from, you know, start to finish. Oh, wow. And in that time, there were, you know, multiple corporations lended their uh, regulatory kind of uh, secured, like not secured, yeah, I don't know, like stance or, or status to help sign paperwork and take on the liabilities. KuCoin was very flexible in, in interacting with multiple parties to make that happen. Um, so it was not just, you know, individual voters or, or anonymous online accounts voting. It was real organizations with, you know, filed paperwork across the world contributing to this like a decentralized process. So you're the first DAO to be listed on KuCoin? I don't think that's the case. No? Um, I think, yeah, my guess is uh, like Uniswap tokens are, are probably on KuCoin as well. There's a couple others. Sure. Um, but those were largely adopted from KuCoin itself. So, it, mm. you know, we did an outbound reach out and say, hey, will you please talk to us about this? Mm -hmm. And I think in those cases, they saw broad global interest in Uniswap, for instance, for just an example, um, and said, we're going to take the initiative and list them um, and do the integration work ourselves. So it's a, it was the outbound inbound difference. I think we were probably the first out to go and really negotiate and ask for uh, a listing, whereas KuCoin took the initiative in previous cases. Mm, right. Okay. Can you talk about edge staking? Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty standard to stake the, the block production method, uh, and like staking paradigm is called nominated proof of stake. So if you are familiar with the EOS, um, which was just kind of traditional, well, I guess actually it's delegated proof of stake. The difference between delegated proof of stake, proof of stake, and, and our nominated proof of stake is mm -hmm. that um, individuals, the, the, the ability to participate in governance and the ability to secure the network through staking mm -hmm. are different rights associated with the token. So in EOS, only validators could vote. Um, in Edgeware, you can stake, you can vote, you can validate, you can run for office, um, and you don't have to. You don't have to be staking necessarily to, um, as a validator, to nominate your tokens to anyone else through, uh, like a. Sorry, that's confusing. No, no, it's fine. My my other question is, 
who can participate in the block validation process? Is there a proof of stake validation process or are there block validations made by the Polkadot relay chain? Mm, yeah, so if you are a parachain, which Edward is not, the responsibility and rewards validating happen at, at the Polkadot level. Um, so once you become a parachain, all of your validators get you know, fired more or less and you start using Polkadot's validators. Um, and that's that's like a problem that we haven't really seen solved very elegantly, whether mm. people want to say, hey, you know, thank you for validating for the past three years on our network, when did we compare chain? Um, and so maybe, maybe we'll see subsidies of token buys so that existing community participants and kind of beloved validators can, can participate on the new relay chain level. Um, the incentives have not, you know, come out yet, basically. So, so new unknown field there. Mm. For for Edgeware, there is no no gate, no gatekeeping on who can validate. Um, right now, it's just that you have to receive nominations or offer up your own stake um, attached to your validator node, large enough to enter the set, which is limited. So I think there's about 90, 90 to 100 validators right now live on Edgeware. Um, Kusama and Polkadot are reaching for the stars. They're, they're shooting for, I think, um, 1,000 at some point mm, okay. uh, and finding some technical technical challenges along the way, but that's why uh, Kutama was born, was to do all these kind of canary net tests of, uh, of the new styles. <laughs> um, what are other token functions for EDGE? Mm -hmm. EDG, yeah, EDG so, sorry. Am, am I saying that the wrong? It's not EDGE, it's EDG. Um, either, either works. I, I, I think I, I, I type EDG, but I say it EDGE. Okay, you do say EDGE. <laughs> it's the... It's the ETH conversation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If someone starts saying "edge," I'm going to laugh, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, yeah, no. I just edge is just um, it's sort of a default way of saying it. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, so you can you can participate in governance. You can vote. Mm -hmm. You can stake and validate. Um, right. And at some point soon, you'll be able to kind of stake towards a variety of different platform applications. So uh, we had a team that was investigating building an edgeware. Mm -hmm. um, like a kind of, if you're familiar with Cura, it's a question and answer platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea is like you could stake edge towards certain questions that you wanted answered um, in order to, to generate interest in, you know, potentially researchers or whoever might be an expert there. And you say, oh, you know, there's a huge bounty on on this thing, or maybe I can earn the interest that's stored up on this question through through staking. Um, so some of the other like DeFi incentives are going to be really fun, I think, in our ecosystem. One of the benefits that I'm looking to build out right now is a, is a paradigm called Edge Pass. So mm -hmm. I like to think about Edgeware, again, drawing from my like, political experience, as kind of an auxiliary state. Um, so if you live in a place, I live in the U.S., and mm -hmm. we don't have you know, government-guaranteed healthcare, we get it through our workplace. If this is insufficient, I like to envision a future in which maybe the blockchain ecosystems that you participate in by staking or holding their tokens you get certain mm -hmm. benefits. Um, so we've negotiated things like uh, ability for people to get access to healthcare, education, mm -hmm. some of these other kind of traditionally state-guaranteed benefits um, through digital goods. So if someone has a yoga app, we'd love to help fund that development. Um, and then that staking process, if they stake enough edge tokens, um, mm -hmm. we can give them access to those apps or additional seats, basically. So goods that have zero cost of reproduction are especially interesting for us because it costs us nothing to grant other edge holders access. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's kind of the, the future of holding edge and the benefits that you can obtain there is, is uh, again, I'm so sorry about the background noise. No, no, it's fine. Um, are, these, are these like really citizen benefits is what we like to consider them as? Yeah, definitely. That actually kind of answered one of my questions in terms of uh, well, these are sort of what you're aiming for, but can we also explore some practical use cases in terms of what already exists on Edgeware and what is in the pipeline? Mm -hmm. So I mentioned Zine uh, mm -hmm. and New Futures earlier. Yes. I think the NFT and the DeFi space are typically the first industries that blockchains touch on because yes. they are fully digital. It's ones and zeros um, for JPEGs and ones and zeros for, for digital money. Um, so those things will be the first, the first uses will be able to buy and sell tokens via uh, PicoSwap or other DEXs at a launch. You'll be able to bid on, on art. You'll be able to stake it. Um, you'll be able to vote and, and author proposals and bond to submit those to the network. Um, 
I think those are the things that are most popular at this time. And I'm excited to see probably asking this question again in about nine months, and I'll have many <laughs> new answers for you. <laughs> Definitely. Well, we'd love to have you back. Um, um, but before we wrap up, I, I just have a few more questions for you. Coinbase Ventures selected you to be part of an open financial system. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Coinbase, back uh, when Commonwealth Labs was working on the core version of Edgeware, um, like pre-launch, invested. And as a result, Coinbase Ventures ho holds a lot of edge tokens. Mm -hmm. So we are deeply interested in listing on Coinbase at some point. We're currently working on what's called the you know, Coinbase Rosetta integration, which is an API that um, Coinbase asks projects to participate in before they can kind of go through their process. So we have, they have, I, you know, in our mind, a an interest in bringing edge to the world. Um, they hold a lot of it and they, they previously expressed interest in that. Um, so that's kind of where things sit, sit there. Mm -hmm. I think what they particularly liked about edge was again, that interest that the, both the substrate technical layer, as well as the governance experiments that we continue to conduct. Mm -hmm. So you've touched upon some of Edgeware's future plans and what's in the pipeline. Tom, what are your future plans within Edgeware? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of about, a personal question, but <laughs> if you yeah, don't mind. Yeah. Um, as, as the kind of director or chief cat herder of mm -hmm. my organization, the agency, mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about what's next for us as a group. Mm -hmm. um, in our proposal to the community, inc included in kind of one of our deliverables was to decentralize ourselves, to make mm -hmm. ourselves obsolete. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see our, like, yes, we're a group of thoughtful helpful volunteers um, that became kind of like chain contractors more or less. Mm -hmm. But in the future, I would love to see a lot of our talents and functions become bounties that are open to anybody around the world who can kind of prove to a curator or an oracle or a set of people that they performed an action and reap those rewards. Um, so almost like a more, I don't want to say gig economy because it has like a, a bad, a bad rap these days, but mm -hmm. like a, a blockchain gig economy through which chains can be managed um, and then I would simply become, you know, a council member ID or, or something instead where I don't have to um, be relied upon to produce at a single point of failure the chain strategy or manage its operations day to day because that's antithetical to blockchain philosophy. Well, you mentioned a key word there, decentralization. I think on on that note, I think it's that would be a, a, a great place to 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 end um our conversation, but is there, there, there's nothing you want to add that you, that I haven't asked. And we've, we've touched upon, we touched upon DeFi, we touched upon NFTs, we touched upon sort of the, the, I would say pop culture of, of the crypto world right now. But other than that. No, I, I think I've, I've covered a, a lot of topics. Thank you so much for, for listening to me ramble. Um, no, no, you're not rambling. I think, I, I think it was fascinating. I've, I've also learned a lot. It definitely answered a lot of my questions and we'd love, love, love to have you back. You mentioned about nine months time and congratulations on your KuCoin listing. I uh, hope for, Thank you. for many more in your, in your Coinbase endeavor. And I hope to talk again to you soon. Yes, Nina. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you again, Tom. And thank you everyone for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, Fourth Tech, who's supporting our first steps in the podcast world. And thank you to the Badiam Music team for providing their music. You can check out their latest album on badiammusic.com. You can find all supporting information on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can also find us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.